You're listening to the Best Morning Routine Ever podcast, the show that proves no one stumbles upon success ever. With your host, Lou Need. Every Mondays and Thursdays, we deliver cold heart evidence behind the power of a robust morning routine. Get ready to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Hello, morning enthusiasts. Welcome to the Best Morning Routine Ever podcast. I am your host, Dr. Lunid, and today I have the honor of introducing a very special guest to the show, Dr. John Finn. He's the, he founded the award-winning Tougher Mind Consultancy and has three degrees, including a PhD, and he has worked in performance psychology, resilience, and leadership for over 20 years. So today we're going to talk about his book, Habit Mechanics, and how he uses chief habit mechanics to help um, organizations build outstanding teams. So with no further ado, Dr. Finn, welcome to the show. Hey, Lunid. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. Go ahead and tell us about, I mean, over 20 years in the performance and leadership building industry. Tell us about your journey. How did that start about? Yeah, so this is the only career I've ever had. I went to university to study uh, sports science when I was 18. I really got interested in the sports psychology. I was a pretty good rugby player. Mm-hmm. I had a an episode where I was playing in the warm-up or the selection game for an international fixture, and um, I made a big mistake. I dropped the ball. The opposition scored a try. I got substituted. I didn't get selected for the game. And all I could, when I was trying to catch this ball that was coming from very high in the air, mm-hmm. I just kept telling myself, don't drop the ball, don't drop the ball, don't drop the ball. And of course, I dropped the ball. <laughs> but I was studying sports psychology at the time, so I wasn't practicing while I was preaching. I then got quite a bad injury. I ruptured one of my quad muscles, mm. so I wasn't able to play sport at a high level anymore. So I decided to make it my mission in life to help other people to be at their best. And that took me on my journey of performance psychology. Everything I know about this area is is in the habit mechanic and all the ideas, all the, t- the toolkit that's in there. It started in sports psychology, we moved into education, and then we moved into business. So we've, we use these tools across all those areas. So whether you're a CEO running a multi-billion pound or dollar company, we work with those people, or whether you're a primary school child or elementary school, as you yeah. say in the States, we work with those, mm-hmm. that level as well, and all the way through. So I, my passion has been to make it as easy as possible for people to be at their best more often. But why our approach is different is we use cutting-edge science, we use neuroscience, we use behavioral science, we use what we call leadership science as the foundation for everything that we do. Um, and that's why our interventions are so powerful. Yeah, and um, it's, the, it's all science-based approach is what you use. And so you've been working in the field and doing the clinical and, and collecting the data and the research. Now, we know habits, um, they, they can create us, right? The, the process of automation and, and, and utilizing them to improve our lives. Now, tell, me, tell us about the habit mechanic. What is the habit mechanic? Yeah, I think we have to, in a way, throw away everything that we thought we understood about habits because pop psychology has done a really bad job at educating people about the power of habits because the common understanding is it's about 50% of what we do. 
we often think of habits as very physical things. The science is very clear. At least 98% of what we're thinking and doing right now is automatic or semi-automatic mm-hmm. behavior. And when I say behavior, I mean what you think and what you do. So habits are everything. Yeah. They are, you know, forget human capital. It's habit capital. It's not your fault. It's your habits. They are driving everything that we're doing all of the time. And we've only started to understand this in the last 10, 20 years or so. And if you're familiar with the work of people like Daniel Kahneman, who wrote the book Thinking Fast and Slow, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about habits and they are driving everything that we're doing. So because habits are so dominant in what we do and because we're so mindless in what we do, yeah, I know that if we want to help people to do better, we first of all got to help them to understand how they work, how their brain works. So that if you think of a car mechanic understands the intricacies of a car engine, we need to get better at understanding the intricacies of our behavior and why we do what we do. So that's the first thing that we teach habit mechanics. And then we teach habit mechanics how to start building small, new, sustainable habits that are going to make their life easier. And to do that, we can't just rely on our willpower. We can't just rely on our persistence and our determination because that's a limited resource. If we really want to build sustainable new habits, we have to bring in the behavioral science. So we have our proprietary behavioral science model, which is called the nine action factors model. And we show people how to use that via what we call habit building plans. So that's all in the habit mechanic book. So the habit mechanic is someone who understands how they work at Mm -hmm. a scientific level, even if it's just a gist level. And then they also understand how to use the science of why we do what we do Mm -hmm. to make it easier for them to do what they want to do. And once you become a habit mechanic, you can then start to become what we call a chief habit mechanic. And that means that you can create a culture that makes it really easy for people to build better habits. So if that's in a business context, it means that you're able to use science to make it, to create a culture that makes it easier for people to develop the habits that are going to be helpful for their happiness, for their motivation, but also for them performing in your business. Mm, I like that because when we think about um, habits, it's the individual because 90, 95% of the time we are on autopilot and I concur 100% with you. And that 5% is the conscious mind and the rest is subconscious, right? So the, we are operated by by habits, we're habitual creatures, but those habits are created to solve problems for us. We can't just rip them out. We have to replace them. We can't just break them. We have to replace them with other healthier habits. Now, Dr. Finn, you're saying you're doing this in an organization, like changing the whole culture of the organization. I'm intrigued. Tell me how that happens. Yeah. And I'd say we go further. It's not 95% anymore. We're pretty compelled. It's at least 98%. That's a minimal. Sometimes you're 100% autopilot. So at our best, we have at least 2%. And we probably don't have that very often. So if we think of the fabric of a company, it's habits. Habits are driving the organization. Mm -hmm. So the word culture, the Latin origin, means to cultivate. So it's an Mm -hmm. agricultural term. We've adapted that into business or into human teams to think about cultivating human behavior. Yeah. The controllable part of human behavior is habit. So if you think of um, 
what a farmer's trying to do when they're trying to grow the crops. So they're, they're trying to get the the right soil conditions. They're trying to pick the place where the weather is going to be the best for the crops that they want to grow. Mm-hmm. Creating a culture for a, for human beings is similar. And what's what's planted in the soil, what you're trying to harness and nurture are people's habits ultimately. Mm-hmm. And the first habits that we need to get right in any organisation are the habits, you call healthy habits, that allow people's brains to work well. Because mm-hmm. if people's brains are not working well, nothing good is going to happen. So that's habits around good sleep, good diet, good exercise, building uh, safety in the organization so that we can get everyone's individual brains working. So that means that in order to do that, we're probably going to have to give some people some new knowledge and some new skills about mm. how to build better sleep, diet, and exercise habits. We're going to have to structure reward systems around that. We're going to have to trigger and remind people what to do that. We're going to have to help people to connect building more healthy habits to their longer term, their more meaningful goals. And this is where the behavioral science comes in. And we could go further. Once once we've got um, those foundational habits, then we can start to build on top of that. So we want mm-hmm. to help people to be more efficient and more effective to get good at managing stress. And then we can help people to build better leadership habits so they can model the right behavior, so they can communicate well, so they can help other people to, to build new habits and, and mm-hmm. so on. So uh, the foundation of everything that we do is this automatic mindless behavior. So we have to gear up the way that we set up our organizations and our cultures to harness the automatic behavior and get it working for us instead of against us. And the trouble is that, you know, we've been around for over 300,000 years. The architecture we have in our brain is wired for survival. And therefore, we prioritize developing survival habits. Some of this stuff's not all that obvious. So we worrying is a survival habit. Being mm. yourself up is a survival yeah. habit. As is, as is getting stressed, et cetera, as is procrastinating. And the modern world makes it super easy to do lots of really unhelpful survival habits and get better at them. Mm-hmm. So I know in the pandemic period, people reported that they got better at developing these unhelpful habits. So when we look at traditional sort of what we call change management, traditional culture building approaches, they are completely missing the understanding that actually what they're actually trying to develop is to help people to build better habits. Traditional change management culture is all about knowing if people know what they should do, they'll be able to do it. If we do this, if we do this, if we do this, we'll get these outcomes. But people don't do what they know they should do. They do what are in the habit of doing. Right. So a lot of the work that I do is working with C-suite to help them to move away from what we call knowledge-based or logical strategies towards habit-based strategies where they connect the big goals they want their business and their teams to achieve with the daily habits that their people are going to need to develop in order to achieve those goals. Yeah, because change change is not easy and people shy away from it. What's, if any resistance that you get, how do you deal with it? Yeah, so the word I would think of any, we think of a, a team in an organization, we can think of them on a continuum. We could think of everybody in an organization on a continuum. One end of the continuum is they are, they're not going to change. doesn't matter what, they, what you say, what they do, what they believe. Well, even if they're buying into the need to change, they won't change. 
the other end of the continuum is people are absolutely open-minded to wanting to be their best. So you can place everyone in your continuum across that, con- everyone in the organization across the continuum. And there are certain things we can do to start moving people in the right direction. Some we just don't have the resources to change. Mm-hmm. But the first thing I would always go to is helping people to understand how their brain works. Because we've only had the technology to look inside the brain in real time for 20, 25 years or so in terms of its commercial availability. It's called functional MRI scanners. So when most of us were at school, we got taught that when you stopped physically growing, you stopped changing in any meaningful way. You you were what you were at that point and you weren't going to change because you know you were very dominated by your genes. Well, we know that isn't true anymore, is that we get really good at what we practice. Mm-hmm. So helping people to understand how their brain works is really helpful. And then harnessing the behavioral science to make it easier for people to mindlessly adopt the new behaviors that you want them to adopt. Mm-hmm. So what we've got is global technology businesses, supermarkets, online retailers, whoever is trying to sell you something, they are hacking into that science to get you to do what you want them to do, what they want you to do rather. They're not interested in you being happy or being healthy. They're interested in their share prices going up. Mm -hmm. And those companies are getting increasingly sophisticated at hacking our behavior. So if we want to do better individually and collectively, We've got to fight back and use the same science to actually make it easier for us to do what we want to do. Yeah, take ownership of that learning um, piece of it. Now, you provide a leadership toolkit that actually is jam-packed with techniques to help people live happier and perform better, right? Um, Can you share some of those techniques? And this can be done as easily as in 15 minutes. Yeah, so the key to... Any change, we, I say it's a three-step process. One is you've got to self-watch. Mm-hmm. So we could ask people right now, if you want to think about leadership, how well do your best to be your best, to be a great leader in the last 24 hours? 10 would mean you were perfect. One would mean that you failed. So you're probably somewhere in between. So by doing that, we're stepping out of our habit brain and we're switching on that 2% and we're, we're doing what I call intelligent self-watching. So the aim today then is in the next 24 hours is how can we, what can we do if let's say I scored five out of 10, what can we do in the next 24 hours just to do a little bit better? Yeah. So I want to score a five, five and a half or a six today. So a lot of the tools we provide give you lots of ideas of the kind of real simple practical things that you could do differently to give yourself a better chance of being a better leader. So. Let's just take a really simple example and say, well, I recognize that my sleep is really poor at the minute. So, and if I don't sleep well, I'm not going to be able to do anything well, never mind help other people to be at their Mm -hmm. best. So I'm going to prioritize my sleep in the next 24 hours. So my aim then could be, well, I only got five hours sleep last night. So my aim tonight is to get five and a half hours sleep, just to make a little bit of of an improvement. And then to bring that home, knowing what I want to do isn't going to make it happen, to bring that home, I need to create a plan. Mm -hmm. So you would use one of our habit-building plans, which shows you how to build a better sleep habit, and it shows you how to get all the behavioral science working on your side. Mm -hmm. 
So step by step. So that three step process we've just gone through is called the swap cycle. So you self watch, you make an aim, and you make a plan. And if we keep cycling around that simple three step process, that's going to be the framework for us starting to make positive change in our lives. And then you can, our leadership model has four areas. We've got the role model, the action communicator, the cultural architect, and the swap coach. Because once you get good at making swaps yourself, you can then start to use that in, in the way that you help other people to change yeah. and build better habits. So instead of just telling someone what they what you want them to do and them agreeing with you, but it never happening, mm-hmm. you can actually start to use the behavioral science to make change happen for other people as well. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I'm sure every leader would find that invaluable, right? Because you'd be able to get a team that's working cohesively, working together um, for the mission, have buy-in and execute the vision of the company. Uh, in the toolkit, are we talking about some of, some of the stuff that I can recall is like habit stacking to help remember um, to do a task or uh, tagging it onto something that you're already doing? Yeah, so I wouldn't use the term habit stacking. I would think of that as triggering. So mm-hmm. what you're describing is that one habit triggers another habit. Yeah. So that's one of nine factors that we have to activate if yeah. they help us to change what we do. So a really good way to explain our nine action factor model, these there are nine elements of behavioral science that are driving everything that we're doing is by thinking about learning to drive. Because learning to drive is a complex behavior. Mm-hmm. We think of behaviors on a continuum. One end of the continuum is complex behavior, things that are difficult to do. The other end of the continuum is simple behaviors, things that are really easy to do. If you want to build more simple behaviors, you don't need to worry about the behavioral science because it's already on your side. So things mm-hmm. like eating more donuts, watching more Netflix, beating yourself up more, behavioral science is already on your side. If you want to mm-hmm. do things like building better sleep habits, being more efficient and effective with your time, getting better at managing stress, being a better leader, they're complex behaviours. So we've got to activate as much of the behavioural science as we can. Driving is a complex behaviour, something many people have learned to do, so it's a good example. So I'll talk through the nine uh, factors. When you learn to drive, the first factor is what we call having a mechanic mindset. So having a mechanic mindset means you believe you can get better, you believe you can change. If you want to learn to drive, if you don't believe you can do it, you'll never be able to do it. Right. So that's why it's important to educate people about how their brain works because they can, we can actually change. It's hardwired into us. The second thing is what we call the tiny factor. So when we are learning to drive, we accept that it's going to take us a, quite a long time. We're going to do it over months. Mm-hmm. After the first lesson, we probably haven't even driven anywhere. We've just worked out where things are in the vehicle. Yeah, that when, when we're trying to make other changes, for example, if we're trying to lose weight, if we haven't done after the first week, we give up and we beat ourselves up and we tell ourselves we'll never do it. We can make change, but it's one tiny change at a time. So it's a tiny factor. The next factor is called personal motivation. If you've learned to drive, there was a reason for doing it, a bigger reason. I had to get to work. I had to get the kids to mm-hmm. school. I wanted to be the first person in my peer group to do it. So if you can connect the small change you want to make today with your bigger, meaningful goals, it's going to be easier to keep persisting. The next factor is what we call personal knowledge and skills. So you might have all the motivation in the world to want to look, to want to drive, but without new knowledge and skills, you can't do it. That's why you have driving lessons. Mm-hmm. Very similar for 
stress management, productivity, better leadership. You need new knowledge and skills. Next factor is what we call community knowledge and skills. So it's really helpful if you're learning to drive, if people around you know how to do it. Your parents know how to do it because they can give you a free driving lesson at the weekend, for example. So that's why we've created a real simple, practical language, habit mechanics, for example, that you can share across the community so that we can empower everyone to help each other to make positive change. The next factor is called social influence. If you want to learn to be a great driver, but your father doesn't think the speed limit is a valid idea, that's not going to be a great role model for you. Or your mother doesn't believe in car insurance, that's not a great role Mm -hmm. model for you. So we've got to recognize that we're modeling and copying the people around us. Mm. So we've got to harness that and activate it. So if I'm the boss and I'm telling everyone they need to turn up for meetings on time, I'm always late. You know, why are they going to turn up, for example? Mm -hmm. Next factor is rewards and penalties. So if you drive well, you get your license, you get to keep your license, your car insurance goes down. If you don't drive well, you might not get your license. If you do and you, you continue to drive poorly, you'll get points on your license, you'll get monetary fines, your car insurance will go up, eventually you'll lose your license. Mm-hmm. So we are driven by reward and penalty systems. Some are monetary, some are social driven, but they are driving everything that we're doing all the time. So we've got to hack into those things to help us to um, build that and sustain the habits we want to develop for ourselves. The next factor is called external triggers. So in the driving example, as soon as you, in a modern car, if you don't put your seatbelt on now, you get a ping, ping, ping. You have a speedometer telling how quickly you're going. There's a line in the middle of the road to tell you what side to drive on. Mm-hmm. There are crossings, there are speed cameras, there are cop cars, all designed to remind you what to do. And that builds into your what you call habit stacking. One habit reminds you to do another habit. Mm-hmm. And the final factor of the nine is what we call uh, brain states. So... If you try to learn to drive when you're sleep deprived, for example, you're not going to do it very efficiently and effectively. It'll take you much longer to do it if you can do it at all Mm -hmm. than if you learn to drive when you're really mentally sharp and focused. So all those nine factors are driving everything that we're doing all of the time. They're driving our behavior right now and they're largely invisible to us. When we start to understand what they are and we learn how to start controlling them, then not only can we help ourselves to build better habits, we can also create cultures that make it easier for other people to build better habits. And everything you need to know about that is in the Habit Mechanic book. And we show you how to use all those factors to build and sustain all the the habits that you want for yourself, but also how to help others to do it. Fascinating. Great example. And I can imagine that's becoming very useful for building even a morning routine. Right to get you to um, to set healthy habits in the morning. Instead of checking your phone, you do a meditation, or instead of rushing, you take the time to actually get composed before you show up. So I'm curious, um, Dr. Finn, how do you get up, dress up, and show up? What's your morning routine like? Yeah, so over the years, I've developed a number of what we call super habits, and again, we explain these in the book. Super habits are disproportionately have a disproportionately positive impact on the day. Mm-hmm. So by doing a super habit triggers lots of other positive habits as well. There are a couple I do in the morning. So the first super habit I do is I go for a run. 
That's how I start every day. Get out of bed, put my running things on, get out the door. The reason I do that is I want to get neurotransmitters uh, like dopamine and BDNF, noradrenaline into my brain so that when I sit at my desk, I can focus and concentrate and do what I call my high charge work, build my eye sculptures. The second super habit I have in the morning is called a daily tea plan. And I post my daily tea plan in the Habit Mechanic University app, which is free and anyone can access. And we, a group of Habit Mechanics, we all post our tea plans in there and we all support each other, etc. So they're the two core things I do in the morning. And I have other super habits throughout the course of the day that I use because I'm trying to optimize every 24-hour period. Yeah. Genius. What about night habits? People do say the morning routine start the night before, and you met you allude to it earlier. Adequate sleep, um, even setting up that habit. Yeah. So my end of day super habit is to write a written reflection, mm-hmm. which can be as little as what we call a three to one reflection. Three positive or helpful things about the day I write down. One thing I can do better, and I post that into the have a mechanic university app as well to get support from the community. Uh-huh. I sometimes go further and there's a number of tools I explain in the book in the stress management uh, chapter. One's called expressive writing. One's called having a wabber. Uh, one's called having a, a fab. So a number of other tools that I might use depending on where my brain's at, but they're all designed to help me to process out mm-hmm. the things I've been paying attention to that day and get my attention on some more helpful things. Once I do the written reflection, that's like drawing a line in the sand between work and home. And then often I'll go for a a walk or something and just focus on my breathing just to Mm. start reducing what we call my activation level so that when I get into bed, I've got the best chance of of sleeping well. Mm. Thank you for sharing. That's good. Good reflection at the end of the day, positives and things you can improve on. That way you give the subconscious mind something good to mull over while you sleep. Again, going back to that 98% you, you said earlier that we operate out of, it's always working on our behalf. It is. And this is the thing. This is why things like post-traumatic stress disorder happen because when you get a big stress, it disrupts your sleep. And therefore, your brain, when you sleep, you are processing mm-hmm. what you've been paying attention to that day. And if you don't sleep, you don't process it out properly. So that's why you get these, when you've got something like PTSD, you get these unwanted reoccurring thoughts in your mind's eye, in your brain, because you haven't processed them out properly. And that's why therapies or the techniques like expressive writing and, and some other things they're essentially helping you to process what you've been paying attention to. So yeah, absolutely helps you to get some more helpful thoughts into your head and aid the sleeping process so that you can think more clearly the next day. Awesome. I know we can find your book on Amazon, but tell us how, when we connect with you, where can we find you? Yeah. So you can visit the website, which is tougherminds.co.uk. And there's lots of free resources on there. You can access the app on there. The app's also on the App Store, Apple. It's also on the Android Store, Habit Mechanic University. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, it's Dr. John Finn. Uh, love to see you on that. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Finn, for taking the time and joining us. We really appreciate your time. No, thank you, Lou Need. I really appreciate it. And thanks to everyone for, for listening. The key is just to try one thing out, you know. 
because we're not we don't get good at what we know we should do we get good at what we do that's the key well put appreciate it all right morning enthusiasts that's it for today's show thank you for tuning in if you love the best morning routine ever podcast we'd love to hear from you so go ahead and subscribe rate and give a review on itunes or google play while you're at it tell a friend about the show be sure to visit bestmorningroutineever.com and our Facebook group to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic free bonus content. Until next time. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.